want to look at a, a slightly different concept of worship. We began the series talking about the uh, the idea of worship from the from from the diagram kind of we, we did, showing the different positions of worship. There's the, the bowing and the, the kneeling and then the what really what worship is is this deep complete uh, prostrate, I want to make sure we say prostrate, not prostate, you don't want to worship prostate, but uh, prostrate worship and bowing. We want to look at a different concept today. Now, to talk about the relationship, because we've been talking about the, the way that we form and maintain our relationship to God through worship. So I want to talk about relationships a little bit. In your house, you may have a pet, and specifically I want to talk about those of you who have dogs. And, and those of you who have dogs will understand this, especially if you have kids and dogs. Uh, in, in our home, you know, we have a dog, and it's interesting to notice the different relationship that our dog has with the different members of our family. So, for example, Anthony, over here, Anthony, he is the sustainer of life for the dog. What I mean by that is that Anthony is is the, uh, the source of food. Not not just that he feeds the dog, because he does that too. He takes his turns towards feeding the dog. But if Anthony has food, be in his house, you know, anything down in that three, three and a half foot range, that's the dog's wheelhouse. And, and so the dog just kind of hangs out by Anthony if Anthony has food. At the table, you can find the dog by Anthony. Because, you know, then he'll be have something in his hand and he puts his hand down. And so, uh, kids being kids, can't mess the hand. The dog just kind of lifts whatever off of the hand. And then, uh, if there's a piece of food, it's going to fall on the floor. The dog knows this. So, so and that's their relationship. And he just kind of hangs out by Anthony. Now, that's not his relationship with Julian. Julian is our dog's chew toy. And it, for some reason, the dog has decided, so on a daily basis, you know, uh, you can hear us yelling at the dog, you know, stop chewing on Julian, or something to that effect. And all of Julian's clothes have holes in them where the dog chews. He tried to pull away and tore a hole in his shirt. Right? So we go, shirts, go through shirts with Julian because he's the chew toy. But in all of these relationships, what's interesting is, is that there is something common underneath all of these relationships. And that is that the dog wants affection. A dog, and I'm not really an expert on anatomy, but, but my observation is that a dog has a very vivid anatomy. A dog is made up of just several things. They're made up of a stomach, a bladder, emotions, and all that's wrapped up in fur. Pretty much if you take care of those three things, you can take, take care of a dog. If you can feed it, take it out, and pet it, that's what a dog wants. That's chew a little bit. That's the other thing. Uh, so you got to get a son to be a chew toy. But, but those things, if you can handle those things, you, you can take care of a dog there. So that underneath it all, they want affection. They live for affection. You say, Andrew, why would you take a, a deeply reverent topic, like the like topic of worship and worshiping God uh, and compare it to a dog. 
I mean, that, that, that seems kind of profane. That seems like we're, we're really lowering the, 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 the nature of the conversation, doesn't it? We're just taking it down just a step. The reason I use that when we're introducing a different concept is because at this point we've really been working from the Old Testament concept of worship. I want to introduce the New Testament concept of worship because each language has specific words that they use to reference things. And so uh, they look at, just the culture looks at different things different ways. Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word for worship comes to, is formed out of two words. The word to kiss or to lick and the word dog. Now, it doesn't mean to kiss a dog or to lick a dog, but it means that the idea of this is that like a dog would kiss or lick its master, it's just that, that starving for affection. That is the nature of worship, and that was their their way to you kind of give a word picture to what worship is. And it is interesting this this quality of a dog, this quality of uh, of this animal towards its master, is so evident that throughout history it's been observed that that this concept is even baked into the Greek language. And God says that's what I want. And worship, I want this desire for affection. Our text is Matthew 22, 37-38. He says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. So we talked about the heart last week. And so we're going to talk about the soul. Now there's probably a good time to have this discussion between you know, what, what the difference between the heart or the soul and the spirit is. What's the soul? What's the spirit? Is there a big difference? Are there technicalities? And today is not the day for that. I'm, I'm just going to very briefly talk about that. But, but not, I don't want to get really deep into that because I think that would take us off of really what we want handled in the concept of worship. Soul and spirit sometimes can be um, synonyms, just kind of general. The word soul is more of a general word, so it has a lot of different uses throughout the Bible. Spirit is a pretty specific one. Without getting into it too far, the concept of a soul is often just specifically means person, or, or generally means person, or, or life. And, and I think that's really what works well in this, is to, to worship with all of our life. Uh, with all of our person. Just like a dog, whose life is all about affection. Last week we asked two questions, what does God want or like? And we asked, uh, what does all mean? So we're going to handle those kind of, but we're going to, Look at those two concepts again, but in a reverse order. We want to talk about all. All of my soul. We talked a little bit, and we're going to go back through it from a different perspective. We talked a little bit about formula worship. And how many know what the five acts of worship are? You ever heard of the five acts? Okay, so we have a couple here. No, okay, okay. So we have a, a 
four or five acts of people who know what the five acts of worship are. I mean, like, what in the world are you talking about? Okay, so those who name, uh, those who, who have, under, have heard this before, how many of you can name them? Okay, so we have a couple who can name them. Uh, notice that they're from deep south, from Texas, a couple of you from Texas. Okay, so, uh, the five acts of worship are these, if you've heard these, singing, teaching, prayer, communion, and giving. That's, that's what, uh, that's what I was taught when I was taught about the five acts of worship. These are what the five acts of worship are. There's a problem. Now, uh, I have previously confessed my and profess my love for the person who made spreadsheets. I've, I've talked about that. I love that. It's probably Bill Gates, right? Uh, I don't know if Excel was the first spreadsheet, you know, but, but whoever designed those, I love that guy. I love putting things in columns and, and, and then you can reorganize those and put formulas in. And you can just, I love spreadsheets. The problem with spreadsheets they work great for certain things, but they do not work great for Christianity. Christianity does not fit and break down into spreadsheets. And we love we love making these categories. There are five acts of worship. They are. Now, if there was a verse that said there are five acts of worship, then this would be a great this would be a great list, and I would love this list, and I would put it in my spreadsheet. But there if you look at the closest thing that I can find to a list is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So there it is. Since they continued steadfastly in the class of doctrine, fellowship, breaking the bread, and prayer. That seems like, okay, so here there's certain, the church probably talked about, you know, doing things the way they did. Do we want to do that, really? Well, here's a good, here's a good list. I like this list. This is a good place to begin. But right off the bat, I'd have to notice just a couple of things. First of all, I would have to notice that singing and giving are not mentioned anywhere in this list. So our, my my little my little spreadsheet over here my my, my five acts of worship list already has a couple of flaws in it, and I would also have to notice that that five acts of worship is missing fellowship. It's missing that they, they continue to set up. So already there's a, a slight problem. Now something you would point out is we have to read context, and if we read from verse 43 on down through, we would find those those things that you crossed off that list. Those are in there. Okay, so let's do that. Let's see if that's true. Uh, verse 43, beginning, it says, Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had to meet. So they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all men. Okay, so you're going to say, Andrew, right off the top, you see that down there? Uh, they were praising God, that's down there in verse 47. Okay, praising God, that's singing. I could argue with you, but I won't. I'm going to give you that one. Okay, so praising God is, uh, is singing. Okay, so let's take that back, put that back in there, all right, uh, by contact. And, and you would say, well, giving is in there. We see that they were giving to each other. You say, okay, so, so put that back in there by context, we understand that. Okay. It didn't fit into my next list. It wasn't a good list first, but, but by context, we can get that out there. Okay. So, at the very least, we do have a problem with this list, even if I allow those, because we're now up to six acts of worship, because 
because verse 42 did mention fellowship. So we have six acts of worship, not five. Now, I, I, while we have this context up here, I, I want to explore this context a little bit more because the next thing that, as I see, this whole context begins is that fear came upon every soul. Well, an act of worship here that I see is fear, that we should have fear, that things were going to be like them, that we should have fear. That was something that was that, that was a part of their worship. So fear, so that's now we're on to go back to seven. We're up to seven. Okay, oh, hey, there's one. They were selling everything they had. Selling is an act of worship. They weren't just giving to give. You had stuff. So they sold their stuff. You want to sell your stuff. So, I mean, I think that's a great act of worship. Start going through all the stuff in your house and start selling it off. That then you can give. See, the giving part, the five, that, that's number five. So, number eight is selling uh, so that you can do number five, which is giving. Now, we have the last one here uh, that they were meeting daily. They were meeting daily together uh, in their home. So, so open up your doors, and we need to be going to each other's house every day. That was a part of their worship. So we have now nine things uh, that that were. So we have nine acts of worship just in this context alone. And I would I would guess that if we start going through all the different Verses that that mention uh, that mention worship, we would start building a pretty long list. You see, it's not five acts of worship. We find that there's just tons and tons of acts of worship. You see, it was never meant to be a formula. It was never meant to be on a spreadsheet. And I want you to notice that all formulas, all of our formulas are based on location. They're all dependent on location. The formulas that, I should say that all the formulas we like to build are dependent on location. Things that we do here. Well, we look through and say, well, what did they do when they came together? Well, they sang songs and they heard sermons and teachings. They did communion. They did all all these different things. These were the these were the things that they did. And it's all based on location. So we build these formulas based on where we are. And not just where we're at, um, but specifically inside of the building, we have formulas built, built in for what happens on this floor and not what goes on downstairs. See, that's not worse. Those, those formulas do not include what happens downstairs. If you if you listen to this, what happens from nine to nine forty here? That's that's not worship. See, it's just what happens at the magical hour of ten till whenever we we leave. That's the worship. But what goes on downstairs? That that's different. That's not quite worship yet. That's just Sunday school. Worship formulas are dependent on location, and that's why we need to get rid of them. Because what we've seen is, is those don't hold up scrutiny, under scrutiny. Those formulas and those spreadsheets start to break down. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. He says, God that made the world and all the things that have seen that he is Lord of heaven and earth doesn't live in temples made with hands. God doesn't care about the location, right? Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, 
seeing as that he gives life and breath to all living things. So, so God does not care. God doesn't have a spreadsheet for worship. And it's not about the location. Well, what I want to do as we look at some of these uh, texts that we, we love to build in formulas, I want to introduce you to a concept that, that you might think is controversial. Maybe it is. But I want to tell you, we have this, again, referred to this because we have these nice things on the wall and it, and it makes it a lot easier. I'll have to put the slides on the, on the screen. But uh, this, nice, this nice thing here, Colossians chapter 3. And Ephesians 5 is a passage very similar to it. We're never intended to be a reference to what happens inside these walls. It wasn't. They are not about the assembly church service. They said, wait! If I read Colossians 3.16 over here, let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching the monarchy, so the promises of the spiritual songs, great your heart to God. How do you do that uh, if we're not together? How, how do you do that if we're not together? Well, I can explain that. But, but let me, before I get to that explanation, let me say it this way. And now, this is, remember, we're going to talk about context, which is important. If I just, if, if, if something is about the church service, we should be able to add the phrase in the church service, and it would make sense, right? So Colossians 3.16, if I, if I read that, and then tagged on, uh, admonish each other in songs and spiritual songs during the church service, uh, great, that, that would make sense. And so that's why it's easy to, to jump to the conclusion that that is about the church service when we come together. And again, say, well, you can't admonish each other if you're not together. That's true. So let us, let us look at the context. Let's, let's do this. Ephesians 5, just a, a little exercise. We're going to begin in Ephesians 5. We're going to read the context. And so, remember, a, a context is all one big concept, one idea, one concept, which is applying to different things. And so we're going to look at this, and we're going to do what we just did here, but, but we're going to look at every item in this list. He says, look carefully then how you walk in the church service, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time during the church service, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish during the church service, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine during the church service. Uh, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, so on and so forth, right? So, isn't it obvious that, uh, that all of those other things, it would be ludicrous for us to add the phrase during the church service, oh, it's okay to be drunk any other time of the week. Just not during the church service. No, we understand that it's talking about our lives. Now, I want you to notice, in the closing of this, there's an important word that, that clearly brings out that this is not simply talking about the church service. Yes, during the church service, but also during the rest of the time, too. It says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so this word always is a clear indication that it was never meant to be a single 
period of time during the week, but this is a lifetime thing. Colossians 3. Let's go to, back to Colossians 3. It's a slightly longer one. No, but, but it accomplishes the same thing. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy beloved, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience during the church service. Bearing with one another during the church service. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other during the church service, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive during the church service. And above all these, put on love during the church service which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart during the church service, to which you, indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful during the church service. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly during the church service, teaching and monitoring one another in all wisdom, and so on and so forth. Right? And, and so you see, again, like we only have to be kind during the church service. No, we only have to be meek or patient and bear one, with one another in these two hours. Just if you could just possibly put up with each other during these two hours, that's really all I'm asking. No. It, isn't it obvious that he wants a whole lot more than just that? Well, it should be obvious because let's look down here at the bottom of this context. We didn't read it, so let's go through it. It says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father, to God the Father for him. So, so again, it's not just this two-hour period, but it is doing everything. It is about giving our soul, giving our lives, having our lives wrapped up in worship like a dog. And I had a dog, uh, not this one, but, but I had a dog, I swear I could have died, and she would have been okay, just so long as my arm would have been hanging over the couch, you know, the, the edge of the couch. She would have just petted herself and petted herself and petted herself. She would do that. I didn't even have to pet her. She would just walk her in circles underneath my arms, petting herself. Right? She would, now, I would feed her. I'd feed her. So the bowl was food. She'd go over, make sure there was food in the bowl. Like, okay, I've got to reserve. Just in case she dies. There is at least one meal there. And then she'd come back. She wouldn't eat the food because, you know, it's always there. I can get it when I need it. But I'm going to go and pet myself with his hand. Right? So, so I'd just read the newspaper and she'd you know, cut herself on my hand. But she she lived for her entire existence. From the time I got in the door to any time I was awake and standing up, that was what she lived for, was affection and for that relationship. And that's what God does. That's why God uses this picture. It is about our entire life. It is not about two hours here. It is about your entire life being devoted to Christ. We talked about, as we talked about doing formulas and lists and things like that, right? We talk about doing things the way the early church did them. I mean, do you really want to do things the way that the early church did them? Ladies, do you want to come in and, and, and have to wear head covering? I mean, that, that, that's something they did. Right? They, they came in and they had a meal before communion service. So we, I know churches that don't even think you should have a kitchen in your church. Do this. No, no kitchens with them. They had a meal as a part of their communion service. So we have to change the mindset. We think it's we think we're doing a great thing when we when we 
change the information, you know, the data that we put into a formula. We think that's doing something. And, and, and sometimes someone might come up and you know, maybe it's a different formula. I mean, that's like moving heaven and earth to get us to change the formula. We, you need a new formula. We, you need to do this, this way to, to grow your church. And you need a different formula. There's all sorts of websites out there about, about changing the formula. And in, for people to overcome it, then we've got to change the formula. That's an incredible movement. We think we've done everything. But if I said to you we need to get rid of formulas, that's, that's impossible. We can't do that. Get rid of formulas? I Get rid of my spreadsheets? Our lives, our worship, you can't package it neatly in a box and put it under a tree. You can't do that to worship. You can't do that. Your soul belongs to God and it's supposed to consume your entire life. It's not about two hours on Sunday and a bonus hour on Wednesday. So we ask now, we talked about all, let's move on to the question, the similar question we asked last week. What does God want? What does God want? Well, let me look at it this way. He said in 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, I desire then that in every place men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And the the person who looks at things from a formula perspective says, notices one thing really right off the bat. You know what it is, of course, don't you? It's the lifting of the hands. Well, God wants is for us to lift our hands. In fact, I read a, a thing once recently where the guy was really upset about the fact that here this verse clearly tells us that we're supposed to lift our hands during prayer. And yet, anywhere you go, you see people you know, doing this, lifting my hands up, turning the song, sir. That's not what God said. He said, do this during prayer. And it's like, he just, you want to keep your head against the wall. If you just don't get it. The hand is not what this is about. They already did this. This was already a custom that they did. But God says, I want holy hands. I want holy hands. Every place mentioned pray, lifting holy hands. God wants holiness. You can see this a bunch of times throughout the scriptures, in fact. And he the different things that we talk about, the different things that surround worship. The, the different things around that centerpiece. The little the, the forms of worship. He he uses this structure with different with different things. But I want you to know that life is where the worship is. It is in the holiness. It is not in the lifting of the hands. If God says something twice, we think it's important. If God, really, if God says something once, it's important. But, but think about how much ink has been spilled over Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. Maybe you say, listen, it's mentioned twice. That's important. Okay, that's true. And the more God repeats something, the more central you think it is. Right? I, I think that's natural for us to say something, you know, if something's mentioned over and over and over, it's something that's really on God's mind. So what if then, if God says something four times? 
Would that be important to you? We have Romans 16, 16 here. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. And 1 Thessalonians 5, That seems to be important to me. Without knowing, if, if, if he says, these four verses have something in common, Andrew, do you know what they are? Probably no one in this room. Uh, I don't know what that is without looking that up. But if you told me that, I'd say, well, it's in there four times, so it should grab our attention. Now, these verses up here are up here for a reason, and it's to break you of a habit. If, if, if you are still claiming, if you're still doubting whether or not we should have formulas and spreadsheets, then I'm going to break you of your habit. It's difficult, I know, because I love spreadsheets. So, I'm going to show you what these four things have in common. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, if you're into formulas, and if you're into forms, then this is obvious what God wants us to do, isn't it? Pucker up. Pucker up when you get to church. You know, I don't know about that. He said it four times. Or is it, is it not the form that he's interested, but much like the last verse that we said, that it's holiness. When you come in the door to greet one another, be holy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In other words, you greet each other, and we pretend, we put on the mask, and we come in, and we pretend that everything's going good and, and all that. But it means nothing if there isn't holiness. God wants, first and foremost, He wants this holiness to be a part of our life and a part of our worship. And He wants what He is owed. He wants what he's owed. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. You know this well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Now, this is interesting. And somebody said, what do you mean, reasonable service of worship? And that doesn't, uh, that doesn't, that's not in my, my version. Some of you have a slightly different uh, version. But some used to say, well, this is your reasonable service. What, where, why, why did they add that word worship in that? Well, here's why. Just real quick. The reason I added it is because the word service is not like the word servant. It's not just like if you would perform, perform a service for me, like doing something for me. But this particular word was a word that was used like priestly service or temple service. So it had to do specifically with a with things connected to a religious duty or service. So, so that's why they translate it, reasonable service of worship. You notice then that your worship service isn't from 9 to 12 on Sunday morning or 10 to 12 or 9 to 11 or whatever. And that's not, that's not where the worship service is. The worship service is the living sacrifice. We talked about this already. The, the centerpiece. That's where the worship is. It is your life. Worship is a lifetime thing. Let me explain to you what that means. This is quite important. Worship isn't about what happens. We've already said this. There's no rules that change when you walk in that door. There's nothing that you are supposed to do or disallowed to do inside this building that you are okay 
45 seconds earlier out in that parking lot. If you can't do it in here, you can't do it out there. Not as it pertains to worship. There are not rules that change. As it pertains to worship. There's some structural things. I do need to clarify this. There are some structural things. Simply, uh, those don't pertain to to worship. They pertain to structure. Like, God says, don't talk over one another in in church. That's a structural thing. That's there for making things go smoothly and whatever. That's not a worship concept. God made you. He made you in your entirety, your soul, your person, your being. And he says, that's what I want. That's what I'm owed. And so, as we close, I want to ask this couple of questions. Number one, do my sentiments on Sunday match my actions during the week? God asks, this is kind of, I want to emphasize something here. Because it was subtle, and you might not have caught it. He says, greet each other with a holy kiss. No, we know this. We've already covered whether God cares whether we actually kiss. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a culture thing that they did. He wanted the holiness. But there's something else in there that's, that's subtle but important. We don't come to church so that we can leave holy. We live holy so that we can come together in holiness. That's important. A lot of times we come here hoping that this is going to be like magic in a cup. We look up here and, and, and we look to this for magic in a cup to leave pure. Now I'm not saying that this doesn't uh, have something significant to do with our relationship. But I live holy so that I can come in purity. My week comes first in that sense. And then we come together. Think about it that way. Not like, man, it's okay if I mess up all week because I've got Jesus in a cup waiting for me. That's not the mentality. He says, greet each other with the Holy Kids. Come together in holiness. So, my challenge then is for you to rethink the premise of your existence. Go through those formulas that you've thought about and think are so important. Those formulas that we, we just, we've built up and we think this is the way and this is the forms and this is the, the order and, and this is how everything has to be done. Does my belief system prioritize some elements at some point in time during the week? Do I feel more worshipful on Sunday than I do on Tuesday afternoon in my car driving around? Well, there's something wrong. There are not more worshipful times. There's only a together part of my worship and an alone part of my worship. But my entire life, my entire being, my entire person is to be involved in worship. The together part merely should be an extension of my life. So I challenge you to leave here and rethink the premise of your worship. To rethink your entire existence and how it relates to God. 
your soul. Give your soul to God. You know why? Because that's all He wants. He only wants your entire life. He doesn't ask for much. Just your entire life. Because He died for it, He made a sacrifice for your entire life. 